We're, we're starting a new series today called New Year. And, and to me, it's, it's a little bit strange because my heart's still in Christmas, um, actually until like January the 6th. Um, and so it's kind of a strange thing to be looking forward to the new year, but then we like just celebrated Christmas yesterday and we got the nice trees and everything's still up. It's kind of a, a strange, weird, in-between sort of thing. And so I, I was thinking that maybe the, the best solution to that it's really nice to see your faces, too. Maybe. Well, some of you, Ted, I don't know. But uh, I love that guy. Uh, so I thought maybe the, the solution to this weird in-between kind of like New Year, but Christmas is, is to kind of embrace that and look at the only story we have in the Bible of Jesus as a kind of in-between, you know, pre-teen, awkward years of Christ. There's one story we get, and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. It'll be on the, the screen, or you can uh, pull it up on your phone, or however you do it. And it's going to be Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. And it says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days... They found him in the temple, uh, in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your gift of scripture. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive it today, that you would use it to transform us and make us more and more like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Pretty great story, right? You can imagine seeing, especially like if you're a parent or if you've had, you know, been in charge of young children, you can probably kind of picture a lot of the details of this story. Uh, I mean, uh, Mary and Joseph, they made this trip to Jerusalem every year. It was part of their custom, part of their routine. It was an ordinary trip. They've done this trip a bunch of times. And so they knew exactly what to pack and how to pack. And they knew uh, how long this trip would take. And they, they knew when they would, le would leave and, and when they would get there. They knew where they were going to stop for the night because it was their custom. They did this year after year, an ordinary, routine, regular trip. But it was also a special trip. And it had special uh, 
you know, family sentimentality with it, uh, special spiritual religious reasons, and, and it was this routine thing, but it had special value, and, and those are the types of things in, in our life that we would call traditions, and, and those are the things that as we participate in them, they, they begin to shape and, and tell the story of our lives. And, and I think maybe possibly this year, for Mary and Joseph, this year was quite likely a little bit more special. Because this year, Jesus was 12. He was one year away from becoming uh, and being considered a man in his culture. One year away from from being responsible to keep the law and to keep the covenant. And, And so we can imagine that maybe this year, Joseph spent some extra special attention to him along the way and, and teaching him and showing him and explaining to him what his future responsibilities would be as a Jewish man and, and what, what his privileges would be and teaching him all the things that, that he had learned from his father and his father before him and teaching him the things that maybe have changed over time from his own experiences and, and all this and, and just putting all of this knowledge into Jesus as they traveled so that one day Jesus would be prepared to make this trip himself, to go into Jerusalem to observe and to celebrate the Passover. And we can imagine the trip probably went pretty good. Nothing notable happened until, you know, that last bit there where they lost their kid. But before that, nothing seemed out of the ordinary, at least not that Luke tells us. And so we can imagine there's probably uh, some times of celebration there's probably some times of, you know, family squabbles as everybody's tired from traveling and being away from home. And there's, there's probably great family moments and father and son moments. We can imagine all of this. And then finally, it's time to go back home. And they're looking forward to it because even though we like the trip, we always like going back home. And so they head out. Now, in that time, people would typically travel in groups large groups, their safety in numbers, and so there'd be a, a large group, a large caravan of travelers, and, and, and usually the, the, the men would travel in one part of the group, the women would travel separately in, in another part of the group, and, and so the mistake they made is completely understandable, because Jesus was 12, he wasn't quite going to be belong to the man group. So he could be up with the men, but also because he's 12, it was completely acceptable for him to travel with the women as well. And so we can understand that, that Joseph probably assumed that uh, Jesus was with Mary. Mary assumed that Jesus was with Joseph, and, well, he wasn't. And as their, their, their day kind of ended, and, and they, they finally uh, reunite, and they, they you know, start making camp or whatever it is that they did back then to prepare for the night. Mary sees Joseph and notices something's missing, her son. You know it's probably Mary that noticed first. She says, hey, hey Joe, where's Jesus at? So what do you mean where's Jesus? He, he was with you all day. No, no, he wasn't with me. And you can imagine this discussion take, this probably happened maybe in, in your house, the finger pointing, the blame, and then and finally someone says, well, well, just wait, let's calm down. He's probably with your relative Elizabeth. I bet him and John are out skipping stones in, in a pond somewhere. Let's just go check with Elizabeth. He, I'm sure he's hanging out with his cousin John. 
And so they go, and he's not there. And they ask more family and more friends, and, and, and he's not there. And soon this, this concern becomes terror and fear, and, and they become more and more frantic, more and more embarrassed, feeling like they've probably failed as parents. And now they're a full day away from Jerusalem. And so maybe it's, our, maybe it's nightfall, maybe they still have some traveling time, maybe they had to sleep where they were at and get up right and early in the morning, we don't really know, but they headed back to Jerusalem. By the, by the time they get there, it's been two days since either of them have seen Jesus. You could imagine the nerves, the worries, and they, they go throughout the city trying to find their son, and there's no Facebook, there's no uh, Amber Alerts, there, there's no uh, photographs. I mean, there, there's no, none of those pragmatic ways that we would have to locate a missing boy. And so they search and they search, and finally, perhaps, maybe in desperation, maybe as part of the search, they say, let's go to the temple Let's go pray. Because God's going to be really upset when he finds out we lost his kid. And so they go to the temple. And, and, and at the temple, uh, there, there was uh, a few different areas that the teachers would gather with their students. And they would, throughout the day, they would, you know, gather their students, their disciples, and they would teach them and, uh, and, and train them and all that. And then at the end of the day, the, the students would go home off to their own families, but the teachers would hang around and become um, open and available to anybody else that wanted to come up to them and ask them questions and talk to them about the law and about religious things. And, and so it's likely that that's happening. Jesus found a teacher there at the temple and starts talking to him and asking questions. And, and this teacher notices how smart, how bright this young man is. And maybe a, a small crowd forms. And Mary and Joseph, they, they get to the temple and they see this little group. And they're like, oh, good, we can go. All those teachers are gathered. We can go. We can talk to them. Maybe one of them has seen Jesus. All these spiritual people are there gathered. Maybe we can get them to pray for us and that we would find our son. And, and they go and... And they get there and they notice, there he is. There's Jesus. He wasn't worried. He wasn't scared. He was happy, healthy, and just completely unaware of all the worrying and anxiety and stress that he has caused his parents the last few days. And so Mary says what any mom would say in this situation. She says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And again, Jesus not really understanding where his mom was coming from, not really knowing why she didn't know where he was. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, the story kind of comes to an end. It, you know, Luke ties up some of the loose ends and they head back to Nazareth. He says he was obedient to them. And then it ends the, the, the passage, this section, with, with these amazing words. They're, they're profound, thought-provoking. And it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's uh, the third time in the Gospel of Luke that, that Luke writes something similar to this. Uh, the first time he was talking about John the Baptist, that was uh, back in, at the end of chapter 1. 
The next time he's talking about Jesus, and this was right after Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus to the temple uh, to be presented to the Lord, to be circumcised, to be officially given his name. And as a, a transitionary statement, Luke writes in chapter 2, verse 40, he says, And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And then the scene cuts, and we see Jesus 12 years old, and all this stuff happens, and then he gives us that statement again, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And it's an incredible kind of statement because I think, I think it puts our perceptions of Jesus maybe a little bit upside down, maybe a little bit right side up, it, it, it challenges some of the, the ways we might think about Jesus because I don't know about you, but I tend to have a, uh, like the Superman view of Jesus. And you know, if, if you know the story of Superman, you know he comes from this other planet and he lands on earth and there he is and he looks a lot like us and you put on glasses and he blends right in and no one can tell the difference, but all the while he's not really one of us. He's bulletproof and he can fly and lasers out of his eyes and all those things. And we think of Jesus that way sometimes. Like, well, yeah, he was tempted, but I mean, he was Jesus. It doesn't really count. And it's this really hard tension to hold. And I... I I might sway into to blasphemy at some point, trying to figure out how this all, because on the one hand, we look at the life of Jesus and we read the gospels and we see all the, like he walked on water and he healed the sick and he fed the 5,000 and, and he made the lame walk and the blind see and it resurrected from the dead. The, the transfiguration, like all those awesome things. But then on the other hand, he seems to be very, very ordinarily human. And, and so the, the idea of God emptying God's self to the point of vulnerability is a hard idea to grasp. The, the idea of God in the flesh learning and growing and wisdom, and that's counterintuitive to the way we think about God. And that's part of the, the insanity, part of the, the, the story of Christmas is the God of the universe, you know, maker of all things, lying vulnerable in a manger as a baby, who if Mary and Joseph didn't take care of him, if Mary and Joseph weren't obedient when, when they were warned about Herod's plan to kill all the babies, like, he would have been killed as an infant, completely dependent upon Mary and Joseph. And those two things are hard to hold together. The God of the universe needing potty trained, learning to walk, learning to talk, growing, becoming stronger. He reaches his preteen years. He, he gets his first pimple. He, uh, he starts to smell funny, and he's a little bit awkward and, and, and you know, disproportionate and all those things that we think of when we think of preteen boys. And then we see a, a very ordinary, normal scene, and if it was about anybody else, we'd see a story about a 12-year-old kid just completely freaking out his parents. 
And they returned home, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You know, as I read the Bible, part of the, the process, and sometimes this is intentional, sometimes it's not, is, is I ask questions and just kind of see where these things lead me. And one of the things that just kept coming to the surface for me as I was reading this just kind of popped up and was just right there was this, this 12-year-old Jesus, he didn't seem to, I mean, he genuinely didn't seem to understand why his parents were upset. Why they didn't know where he was. Now, we could probably read this story differently. If we went to the other side of the tension, we could read it as God, the Son, second person of the Trinity, creator of heaven and earth. Everything was made in him, through him, for him. Nothing uh, that is seen has been made without him. Like We could look at it that and we could say, no, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And, and he knew the answer to the question that he was asking. And, and, and he was just using this moment to teach and to guide Mary and Joseph. And, and that's a possibility and maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but whether we look at it from this side or from this other side, it brings us to the same point, why did he ask this question? Why did the, the 12-year-old boy not understand why his parents did what they did, why they didn't know where he was? Why was God, the second person of the Trinity, creator of heaven and earth, bringing light to this question? Why? Why? See, the past 12 years of Jesus' life, he had lived in this family. Father, son, mother. And based on these experiences, the last 12 years, something in that 12-year-old's mind connected the dots and said, my mom and dad will know to find me right here. Something in those 12 years made it so that the God of the universe would expect that Mary and Joseph would understand where Jesus was. But what was that? I think maybe a clue that will maybe point us down a path and we can kind of imagine some things is in that idea, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Because if Jesus is growing, the, the next question in the chain is, how does that happen? How is Jesus growing in wisdom? I mean, are we talking about some sort of like matrix thing where you just kind of download the information? He's like, I know Kung Fu and, and that's it. God just like, boom, when he wakes up one day, I am now wise. Like, how did this growing happen? I think it might just be an ordinary thing. See, because Jesus entered into the world in, on the one hand, a very extraordinary way where there's angels and shepherds and magi and the virgin birth and all these. But on the other hand, a woman 
went through labor pains and there is mess and excitement and nerves and all these things. And in one aspect, Jesus came into the world exactly like you and I have come into the world. And when Jesus died on the cross, though we understand its awesome significance, on the other hand, thousands of other people in that time were killed on a cross. And it was a very routine procedure for the Roman government. The same mess, the same pain, same everything as others who had died in that same painful way. And, and I like to maybe imagine, because when I was baptized around, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, whatever year that was, no one told me to plug my nose, and I was too nervous to think about it. And so when, when Pastor Bob dunked me, the water went right up my nose, and I coughed, and it was uncomfortable. And, and I, I, I like to imagine maybe when John the Baptist dunked Jesus, it's possible water went up his nose. I know that's silly. But we, we can at least say, you know, at the end of a long day as he's traveling the countryside with, with his, his disciples that his feet were sore and we can at least look at scripture and we can know that sometimes Jesus needed to get alone like we sometimes need to get alone. And he cried when his friend died. And there's all these ways that Jesus was just extraordinarily and simply human. And, and so if that's the case, then maybe... Maybe the way that Jesus gained wisdom, maybe the way he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man is similar to ways we grow in those areas. Through the loving, warm, nurturing home. Through the guidance of the church. Through personal experience and personal initiative and, and all those ordinary things that would guide us and grow us. See, because I think as good, faithful Jewish people that God hand-selected to raise Jesus on this earth, that Mary and Joseph took passages like we find in Deuteronomy pretty seriously. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so can't you imagine Mary, the young mom, holding Jesus in her arms and singing songs to him, songs that tell the story of Israel, songs that teach and inspire and uplift. Maybe she sang to him her song, and you can read that yourself back in Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat. Maybe those were the, the songs playing in young Jesus' mind as he grew and was filled of wisdom. And maybe if we let our imagination take us, we can imagine young Jesus, 9, 10, 11 years old maybe, coming home one day from outside playing with his friends. 
visibly upset, maybe some tears in his eyes, because rumors were circulating about the, the nature and the circumstance of his mom's pregnancy, names were called, and, and all this, and, and it, Jesus was very upset about it, we can imagine. Ma, mom, you know, Mary, being who she was, noticed and talked to Jesus and told him again the story about the angels and the shepherds and the magi and all those great things. And Joseph told, told him about his experience and, and his plan. He's like, well, I was, I was going to, you know, I loved your mom. and I didn't want anything harmful to come for her. I, I, I was going to divorce her quietly. And, and he tells his story about the angels and, he, and all that. And, and we can maybe even imagine Jesus asking his mom, Mom, when the angel came, what did you say to him? Tell me again. And Mary would say, well... Son, I said, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And maybe Jesus had a follow-up question. He said, but mom, didn't you know that it would be hard? Didn't you know what people would say? And maybe she said, well, yeah, I knew, son. But what's important is not what I want, not my will, but God's will. God's will is the best. Now, I know those are imaginary situations, but at the very least, we could... I think it's reasonable to think that Mary and Joseph, each and every Sabbath woke up their boy and brought him to the synagogue to hear the scriptures read and taught. And we know from our passage that each and every year they would go as a family and travel to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover together. And and we know from the Bible that Jesus, when he was an adult, he customarily, it was his custom, it was his tradition to each and every Sabbath go into the synagogue and so is, isn't it reasonable maybe to think that part of the reason he had that custom was because Mary and Joseph had that custom? And we know in the Bible that Jesus, each and every year as an adult, he went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And, and isn't it reasonable that, that even part of that reason he did that is because Joseph each year would take his family to Jerusalem to the Passover So I'm kind of thankful for this story in here because it prevents us from imagining a Jesus who was just transported onto earth as an adult. It maybe forces us a little bit to think about his family and his mom and his dad and life growing up. You know, maybe if we wanted to get carried away, with these what-ifs, which maybe I am, but I'm having fun. Maybe we can imagine when Jesus was in the garden praying before his death, and he was praying, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't really want to die this way, but not my will, your will be done. Maybe he was thinking about, back about 
his mom and how her words were, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And maybe as Jesus traveled the countryside and was showing compassion to those and showing compassion to the different women that he encountered, you know, the woman at the well and the woman caught in the act of adultery, maybe, just maybe, part of the compassion that he had was instilled to him not only by God the Father, his heavenly Father, but by Joseph, his earthly dad, who showed so much similar compassion to his mom. These two things are hard to hold together. So Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So the first 12 years of his life, these stories of God were recounted to him in various ways by various people through different customs and traditions in very routine and mundane and sometimes boring ways. And they were applied to various life situations and and in these 12 years, he believed what mom and dad told him. And not only that, he believed that they believed what they told him. And so maybe when he asked his mom and dad why they didn't know where he was at, maybe what he was thinking, maybe what he, he was saying is, mom, dad, you're the ones who taught me about this. When I laid down at night, when I got up in the morning, when we took trips together, you told me about Moses, you told me about the Exodus, you told me about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you told me about Samson and Gideon and all these great stories. You told me about this. You told me the story of, of Hannah, how she had this miraculous baby named Samuel who became a prophet, and, and how when he was a baby, you, they, she brought him to the temple and left him there to be dedicated by the Lord and raised there in the temple. And you taught me about the angels and the magi and the shepherd and all these things. And so everything that you've taught me has led me to this point and where else would I be but right here? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, I know that's a lot of what ifs. And for some people, it's more that, and it's too many. It makes it a little bit uncomfortable. I get it. I do, makes me uncomfortable. But what are we saying? We're gonna, we're gonna wrap up. You can go ahead and come on up, Jim. And, and I know you're like, what do we do with all this? What is this guy talking about? I, mean, I didn't give you, you know, three points that all began with the letter P or anything like that. Um, but I, I think sometimes, on one level, the, the, Here's another what if. What if one of the most valuable things, or at least a very valuable thing for us, would be to simply sit together in a room like this, reading scripture and letting it capture our imagination, and then just trusting that God will do with it as God sees fit. So that, that's my first hope, that just simply the, the story of God will capture our hearts, capture our imaginations, will inform our whole lives. But maybe 
what we're hearing today is something else. Maybe it's a call to uh, examine the routines and the customs and the traditions and the mundane and the ordinary of our life, these things that if we look at the story the right way, we could see may have had an effect on Christ's life that made him as a 12-year-old boy say, this is of course where I'm going to be because mom and dad. And if we examine these different traditions and routines and practices of our, of our individual life and our family's lives, we, we can begin to ask, well, what are they saying about our priorities? What are, what are these things teaching us and how are they capturing our imagination? Is it for the gospel of Christ or is it for something else? We can examine our routines, the things we do day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, and we can say, you know, what are the things that I'm willing to sacrifice in the name of these routines, in the name of these traditions, in the name of these activities, in the name of these things? What are, what are the things that I'm, I'm willing to put up the hassle because it's, it's part of the tradition, it's part of our story. Like we're willing to, to you know, carve out a whole bunch of time and effort and energy to pull all the Christmas decorations down out of the attic or out of the garage and to put up all the lights. Why? Because it's part of our tradition, it's part of our story, it's part of who we are and, and, and we don't really care about the hassle even though it's a big hassle because it's part of the tradition. And there's other, other things where we're like, you know, I'm not gonna, not gonna do that. So what are the things, the routines and the practices in our life that we're willing to make happen because we have deemed them to be important and the things that we're like, well, if it's too much hassle, I'm not gonna do it. And, and, and those times in, in your life, in your family's life, when you're like, everything's so busy, we gotta cut some things out. What are the things that you choose to cut out and what are the things you choose to preserve? And are those things that you're choosing to preserve, are they things that will ignite your imagination for the gospel of Christ, things that will ignite your children's imagination for the good news of Christ or something else? And so maybe it's just a call that this coming year, you make some adjustments that at the very least over the next several weeks as we continue this, uh, this series, as you know, the pastors come up and talk about different things, that at the very least we approach it with an openness and a willingness to say, God, what would you have for me to do? What changes, what adjustments, what resolutions, what next steps, what, whatever adjective or noun or verb or what, I don't, I don't know my grammar, whatever you wanna to attach to that. God, what do you have for me? Make the effort to approach it with openness and willingness. And the thing is, just like Jim was saying before, it doesn't have to be a grand gesture, a grand thing, a huge thing. It could just be small adjustments into the ordinary, mundane routines of life. Where it's Sunday morning and I don't feel like getting up, but our family, we go to church on Sunday morning, so that's what we're going to do. Whatever the case may be, I'll trust the Spirit of God to speak to you as we continue this series and as you contemplate these things throughout the week. 
because as we discipline ourselves to the ordinary, to the mundane, to the routine, as we establish God-honoring practices and traditions in our lives, God will use these things, these God-honoring, ordinary, mundane, regular things to imprint his story upon our hearts and upon our lives and so that we would have a holy, uh, a growing holy imagination for him and for his will and that we too will continue to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for your word. God, the, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of who you are, we can't grasp it. I don't know how to hold these ideas together in one place. Lord, help us. Lord, I pray that this coming up year, you would capture our hearts and our imagination and so that we would go into the world thinking, well, what if? What if God acted here? What if God did something here? What if God intervened in my family here? What if, what if God could use me? What if I said something? What if I spoke up? What if I invited a friend? What if I volunteered for service? What, what if God, Lord, capture our imaginations to do great things for you through the ordinary, regular, mundane rhythms of our life. pray these things in your name, Lord. Let's stand together.
close with this blessing for you. It's reading a scripture. It's from Colossians chapter 3. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Go in peace.